The FujiCast is an independent loading zone production. We don't usually do unboxing. We're not. We're not. Uh, we're not YouTubers in that way, are we, Kev? But Kev, literally, I was pressing the the figurative red, big red button, and it went ding dong. So you've had a delivery, Kev. What's in the box? Is it? I don't one, know. Is it an Amazon? You know what? It's an Amazon Basics thing, isn't it? I don't know. It's basically what's in the box. It doesn't have my name. It's got my address on it, but it doesn't have my name. This is like the film Seven. What's in the box? Open the big. Box. Open what? Uh, right, hang on. I'm just going to get my multi-tool out, which is the only gift that ever survived my first wedding, first marriage. Uh, <laughs> this is this better be good, Kev. This is num- this is the first ever unboxing we've done on the Fuji Cast. The only thing I can think it is is that thing that we talked about last week, but I'm not going to say it until I open it. Well, the, ca- the camera bag, Could the it- McKinnon experience. Yeah. Hang on, hold on. I'm just going to flick my my uh, pen knife up and down a bit. You got to do some B-roll. Oh, <laughs> Uh, well, hang on, I'm just going to go and boil some coffee <laughs> whilst, whilst I ride a one-wheeler motorbike. <laughs> it's not a motorbike, Kev, it's a one-wheeler. It's just one wheel or, or a boosted board. Oh, blimey. This... Oh, get in there. Yeah. I tell you what, McKin- McKinnon's unboxings are never what, this as, is very as anticipatory. This is very apt delivery. What is it? Because I can reuse this box to send its old brother off to wex what is it what is it kev what's in the box it's my gfx 100s oh my word that's i can't believe you were stabbing into that box and (laughs) you've got an expensive camera in there has it it survived the fuji cast is it is it is it okay kev is it in one piece it looks all right yeah yeah i've got some free uh padded bubble wrap as well is that nice there we go. It's, it's toy day. Everybody likes a toy day, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> what What is this camera destined for, Kev? Uh, usually, you, with great things. I know, but usually you have a plan. It's going to be like you're you're sort of connecting with your. Well, yeah. Your... I mean, the reason why I, I I wouldn't have got rid of the X the GFX 100 to be totally honest with you, I lost a whole load of money on that because the resale value of them is ridiculously low. Um, but I'm just not using it. I'm not using it at all. It's too big to take anywhere. Um, so my plan is, as we said last week, I've got that Amazon Basics bag. Yep. My plan is to have a GFX bag always ready. Um, spend a bit more time at the stables. Just general, getting back in the swing of things, but using something a little bit more different. So you're going to um, use it, you're going to use it at the stables. Yeah. Is, yeah, is I this... wanted to. I wanted. To, I don't really take many pictures up there. Yeah. Uh, and it's a perfect place. Yeah. Uh, I want to try and do some more stuff like that. Maybe get into some fine art equinery. Blimey! Oh yeah, you did take that um, that backdrop from me. A, a yeah, couple, a couple exactly. of months ago. Yeah, exactly. I haven't ago. done anything yet. No, so it's a huge backdrop that you can use uh, to. Uh, sort of, uh, it's Jan Arnus Bertrand is the, the photographer I'm, I'm thinking about that does all those incredible pictures of um, well, not just the horses when when he goes to the country shows in. Uh, in his motherland, France, when he's, he does those amazing pictures of these prize bulls and and huge boar and pigs. and There we go, Kev. That's what this I'm is I'm listening. For. I'm still opening. I know. I can tell. Um, <laughs> I, I hope they've put uh, sustainable packaging in there. It does. It actually says on the box, um, carbon neutral packaging. Good. Very nice. Well done, Fujifilm. Glad to hear there it. There you go. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm pleased about that. That's come just in time for... What? Well, for the rest of the day. 
was preparing for a moment then. No, no, it's, it's good timing because the box has come. It can give me, I can send off the other stuff now to its new new place. Well, I don't think you can. You've ripped it apart by the sound of it. It was destroyed. No, that, was the, that was the thingy. That was the, the bubble wrap. I can reuse that. Oh, what, well, there we go. There was a four-minute unboxing there, Kev. Very exciting. Hey, yeah, eh? Move over. Good. Move over, McKinnon. Oh, it's a lot smaller than I thought. Oh, what would you, in, in terms of size of camera, would you compare it to perhaps something like a, a DSLR? Or? It's, I would say it's about, if you think of an X-T3, it's like a, it's about a little bit like an X-T3, yeah. but a little bit fatter with a much bigger hand grip and heavier. It's a good 50% smaller than the GFX 100. Well, this is fa- fantastic. This is fine then, isn't it? This is what you want for, for making documentary pictures. Well, yeah, of course, there are downsides. You know, there are things that the original GFX 100 has that this doesn't. But um, Such as? Well, such as your batteries, longer-lasting batteries, um, the fact that it's got a vertical grip that you can use, it, the tilt-swivel screen, all of that stuff. But, you know, what can I do? The yeah. GFX 100, it made some beautiful pictures, but not enough to justify the amount of money I spent on it. Yeah. So it's going, and I'm replacing it with something that's a lot less expensive but far more beautiful like the story of my life that really <laughs> and you don't care do you no you don't I, you I don't do attach you don't attach yourself to old kit do you really no if it's not working for me i i do attach i do have some kind of um uh you know like proper kind of uh relationships with some of the cameras you know early ones or ones that i've got my name on serial numbers and things like that mm. for various things x100, um, x100 would definitely be one the original one wouldn't it yeah i mean i'll keep yeah. all my x100s but yeah I, yeah other than that if it ain't i'm i'm also sending off an x pro 2 yeah uh, XT2, my original uh, 18 mil lens is going. A few other bits and pieces. All the stuff I don't use is is going off to the new new place. Bye bye camera. Bye <laughs> bye. Oh, Kev, he's saying, "Don't send me all that service I've done for you." Pictures that I've yeah, the X Pro Two actually. I'm not sure they haven't they haven't offered me that much money for it because I graded it very low, yeah. <laughs> but the GFX 100 is mint, um, well, happy and days. so they have given me a reasonably good price, but still a lot lower than I paid for it. All we need now, though, Kev, is for your camera bag to arrive that we talked about last week. You've got the whole package. Yeah, whole be package. ready. I'll be good to go. Um, I'm not sure. We're starting with a question that I'm not sure whether we've done this before, but because it's a subject that we do talk about from time to time. But Jay Griffer, who's one of our regular writers, um, message, not my expectation, but simply I'd like to pitch some ideas for your expert response. Stand by, Kev Expert coming up. With Fujifilm having X-mount cine lenses, it seems like they're still lacking a camera body to really use it to its intended purpose. Side tangent, same criticism to the 200mm f2 lens that's built for action, wildlife, but uh, lacks a body to use it properly. This leaves room for the, guess what, Kev, what camera? What do you think he's going to say? X-H2. He is. Should it be built bigger, let's say something like a a Canon C200. We talked about the the C200 before with with, uh, all those benefits of audio ports. Or something like a Panasonic S1H, traditional larger DSLR body with an articulating screen. I don't know. I mean, the XH2 thing. Are we ever going to get one, Kev? We talk about this, don't we? Well, I think it's rumoured, isn't it? Usually when the rumours are kicking around, there's usually some truth in them. Um, I I think it's a little bit unfair to say that there's no wildlife cameras out there. I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, Alan's work and others, they're creating incredible wildlife photography with uh, X-T4s, X-H1s. 
I think Alan even uses an XT3. Mm. Um, I can't think of what what else you'd need for wildlife. Um, I mean, unless he's thinking about animal eye detection, which I always find a very peculiar thing to say, animal eye detection. Animal eye eye detection. That's worse than reception. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the cine lens is... Yeah, maybe maybe they will. I mean, my I have no idea about this at all. But my again, just reading from the rumors and everything, my gut feeling is there will be two versions of the XH2, and one will have a smaller sensor, which will be better in low light and all that kind of stuff, and uh, or smaller in terms of megapixels, I should say. Yeah. Both be APS-C, I would have thought, uh, and the other one will have um, less, but be better for you know, filming and all that kind of stuff. So, is it, is it likely to be a camera that you would be interested in? Uh, I mean, it depends. For filming, you know, I've got a couple of filming gigs lined up soon. And, yeah, I mean, what I would like is if the – and this, I think, is something that won't happen, but I would like it if they did create a variant of the X-H2 dedicated, that was dedicated to filming that had, mm. you know, proper onboard audio XLRs, uh, you know, unlimited – they called it a film – of a movie camera rather than a – you know, like the C100 or something. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Rather than a stills camera. So it's not limited to the – 29 minutes or whatever which is no longer the, the limit by the eu it's the limit by the battery and the, the heat yeah, what, dissipation. just to remind me of that rule because I, I never really latched on to there, there was something about you had to limit it was to do with vat wasn't it uh, that you had to limit the amount of time that that dslrs as it would have been there were allowed to film for otherwise they'd yeah, be, they yeah. had to it had to be categorized either as a stills camera or a or a video recorder and it was a tax reason by the eu yeah absolutely so if it was not a filming camera it was limited to 29 minutes recording yeah. that's why all cameras were limited to that but i think that regulation has gone away whether that's because we're no longer in the eu or whether it's pan european regulation i've got a feeling it went, it went away before for all those people yeah, say oh I look think what so you too. get if you leave the eu you can now use it no i don't think it's anything to do with that along with all the other but i i think that there's things. issues in terms of heat dissipation and yes. all that kind of stuff so yeah, yeah. um yeah i don't i really don't know and i mean i'm more interested in the new uh, the new sensor that will will probably come with the X H two, which will be X Trans five. Then five, oh. can you imagine that? Oh. Um, so yeah, well, you know, people still say you know it needs autofocus needs to be better, or you know they need animal eye detection and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yes, but only for the minority of people that I think need need to shoot. You know. 30 40 frames per second and have pinpoint accuracy so i'm thinking sports photographers uh you know the yes wildlife photographers for the animal eye detection perhaps although myself personally i'm not a wildlife photographer so i don't know you know wedding photographer there's there's this whole kind of movement to shoot 20 30,000 frames at a wedding just shoot the shit out of everything um that's not for me i'm not saying that it's not for other people but it's not for me and so i don't know i mean uh, personally, I would, I would, I want to. We're going off the topic a little bit here, but my ideal sensor. I'm happy with the frames per second. They could even drop the frames per second for me, but I'd like to be able to, you know, shoot. And we're kind of talking about the physics of things now. Shoot kind of in lower light, more stably, more more stably, um, but you know, kind of better EVF. That kind of thing is the more more important stuff to me. 
I'd like to see different um, crop overlay options in the viewfinder, that kind of stuff. Anyway, whatever. I don't know. For the moment, you're just happy with the box that you've opened, by the sound. I know. I'm still opening it as well. I've still got got little bags full of stuff. In the background, I can hear all this. I love these. I don't understand, right? So this is a dear Fuji film. Um, Eco-friendly boxing. Very good. Like all that. That's very good. However, I do not need four different plugs. I do not need a... British plug, an American plug, a European plug, and a German, well, I don't know what that other one yeah, is. But it would cost so much more to separate out the boxes to go to different regions. So, you know. Okay, well, then they need to they need to identify the difference in cost of doing that well, and the environmental impact yeah. cost. Yes, I'm, I'm with you on it, but that must be the reason. They must have done their math on that already. Why is it math and not maths, by the way? I've never got that about the American math and maths thing. Do the math. I don't know, actually, but you never hear Americans say mathematics. Nope. So maybe it's just because they never... It's just a different way. the elongated version of the word. No, I know. Well, we're good at that, aren't we? Elongating stuff we don't need to. But I, I suspect that's the that's the reason, Kev. It's they, They've done the mathematics on this, and they've thought, well, separating all these boxes out for the sake of uh, not having that plug there and that plug there and that plug there cost them more money. In, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. It has to be the only reason. There are cleverer people than me who have made these decisions. People with sure. long, longer foreheads than us. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Do you have a question, or do you want me to go for another one while you're uh, while you're still sorting out your box? There. I have a question. Go on then, <laughs> Jason Good. He says, "Good morning from North Carolina, United States. Love listening to you guys, and so much helpful content as I look to delivering uh, as I look at delving into the photography world even more. I recently saw a video clip that uh, the wedding photographer was warning clients to basically not hire anybody that is not insured. What are your thoughts, and to what extent should one be insured? I understand it's a business, and would probably be wise to be insured. Thanks for any feedback, and again, your great insights, discussions every week." Love it. And Jason's given his Instagram. By the way, if you do put your Instagram at the end of your comments, your questions, we will read them out. Yeah. Instagram.com forward slash J S G E R D T. I know what you're I know what you're gonna say straight away with being insured and playing playing by the rules. Yes, be insured. Yeah. I mean that's if that's you ain't insured, don't talk to me. <laughs> but what about people that just want to do it at the weekend and you know they don't want to be involved in uh, it's a slightly different conversation because it, it involves insurance for for very good reason but i was having a conversation a couple of weeks ago about um about drone photography and i at one stage i had my uh, my full commercial drone license so that i could get involved in it but it was so expensive kev the red tape was getting daft um whilst also understanding that there is a safety aspect to it. The insurance, though, Kev, boof, through, stop the, stop roof. And I can understand how some people cut corners. I didn't cut corners. I did it all by the books. But but you can see why people do. Yeah, I presume you can. But you can see why people steal from shops. What? If they need to. If they're really hungry and they've got no money, they're going to steal something from a shop, you know. Well, people do many things for different reasons, but it doesn't mean they're right. That's what I'm saying. That's true. Um, Kev, stop. I, if basically, I think if you are, uh, well, one, if you're being paid to do a job, such as a wedding photography, I'm not sure about the um, 
I agree with you about the drone stuff, but I don't really have that that no. kind of back knowledge. So, well, at the moment, I didn't have the insurance, Kev. I stopped doing it because. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, stills photography. If you're being paid to do a job, you should absolutely be insured, even if you're not being paid for the to do a job, and you are working at another ven at a venue. Even if it's you're just a friend or something, and they say, "Can you photograph my wedding?" As in the capacity of being the official photographer then really you should think about short-term insurance because if you knock that Ming vase over, you are in a mm. world of pain, mm. you know, and your your car breaks down on the way to the wedding and you can't get there. Your insurance will protect you. You're, if you're not insured, you're in a world of pain. Uh, Anti-Maud falls over your camera bag. If you're insured, you're protected. If you're not, you're in a world of pain. Well, Anti-Maud might... might- you know, she might be kind, Auntie Morden. So I'm not taking you to the cleaners. Perhaps. I'm looking yeah. into your eyes, Kev Mullins. Yeah, I can see exactly. you have children and horses to feed. Well, look, the thing is, I've been insured all the time I've been shooting. Yeah. And luckily, touch wood, fingers on everything. You know, I'm doing all the things I should be doing. I've never actually had to use them. No. So in theory, I don't know, what is it? 450 quid a year? Is it? Maybe a bit uh, more? I can't yeah, remember. Let's just say on average, it's 500 I think quid a year. I, I pay 53 three pounds something a month for right let's go with your price right so 53 times 12 636 and i'm just going to go on the years i've been photographing 13 so that i've spent 8268 pound on insurance yeah and never used it but what about the day you might need to exactly so i'm an advocate for it i think it's very important yeah i do not think you should not use it i do Um, i do remember um being at a particular venue uh where is it in surrey posh part of surrey and there were some curtains made by uh anne boleyn and um anne boleyn made the curtains yeah wow get that kev and was it anne boleyn <laughs> <laughs> i think it was anne but no it was <laughs> no jane austen <laughs> it's not <laughs> that's very different where is this story going neil maybe it was jane austen uh, Anne Boleyn was beheaded by henry the yeah and jane austen that's was uh, a lake district daughter. yeah he beheaded her because he hated those curtains <laughs> <laughs> and it was curtains for her i can never close these curtains properly off with her head whoever made these curtains they were very very famous and there was a big sign by them that said don't close these curtains and um I I marched up the stairs with a couple when I was doing a, a I was I think it was in the the days not long after I'd been on a Jerry Guionis course and he'd taught us about closing curtains funneling light and making these beautiful portraits of which of course he's he's a, a, a astonishingly good at doing isn't he Kev and so uh, in my I want to be like Jerry moment I threw these curtains that have never been touched for years apparently I I threw them together and you heard this going noise as, as they both drew, drew together only to have the uh the the wedding co- coordinator appear just moments later screaming at me about the historical significance of these curtains now imagine kev <laughs> if they'd have fallen apart in my hands I, I don't think they'd have showed me the kind side would they they'd have they'd have probably taken me and the curtains to the cleaners yeah yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I reckon they was yeah, your insurance. I reckon they were worth more than eight grand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would have thought so. 
But there's, um, there's a reason. Good Lord. Yeah, there's that a is a story. I must find out who made those curtains. I noticed they've gone now. I said Jane Austen <laughs> was from the Lake District and she won. She, she's from... No, she's not somewhere from the Lake District. Then the Isle of Wight no. direction, I think, isn't she? But was it Jane Austen or was it... I don't know. I think it was Jane Austen. It wouldn't be Anne Boleyn. I'm just going to type in Jane Austen curtains. <laughs> uh, I'd be amazed if you find that they, these were a particular venue. There you go. Hang on. I've got, I've got something here. I've got, I've got a hit. <laughs> uh, library window curtains. Yeah, that's in. No, hang but, on, the, hang on. Yeah, you will wonder. She said, "What has been fixing my eye so long?" But I was looking yeah. after some window curtains, which Lady Alicia and Miss Franklard were telling me of last night. No, no, I think this is actually the janeaustin.co.uk fashionable furnishing site, which is uh, all very romantic sounding, but nothing to do with the original <laughs> Jane, Jane Austen. You never know. There's a lot of pictures of curtains on this page. <laughs> there are. And it's called janeaustin.co.uk. <laughs> Must be some kind of com- connection somewhere. Um, there may well be. I, I'm, I'm looking at the site you're looking at now, and it doesn't it doesn't look at, but it does look like she was more likely the person that weaved these or made them than uh, than Anne Boleyn. But that would have been a lovely story had Anne Boleyn made them. But there we I'm go. Just typing but in, Anne in, 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 ter- in terms of insurance, Kev, I think we made the point. Have it, have it, have it, have it. Yes. Anne Boleyn shower curtains on redbubble.com. That's not <laughs> no, it, is it? No, I don't think so. Uh, Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn's bed curtain. No, I don't. Only held in storage at Glasgow Museum. After they were taken down from a wedding venue. Because some idiot photographer... <laughs> some, some idiot oh, photographer pulled, pulled them down. Pulled them down. I'll never forget that look I got. Ah, <laughs> oh, but there we go. Right. Um, Dan O'Reilly, self-publishing question. Hello, Neil. Hello, Kev. No, it was the other way around. It's always Kev and Neil. You know how you know how you get couples, Kev, that they're always. I know we're not that sort of item, but you always get them that way around. It's always Kev and Neil. It's never never Neil and Kev. It's like, it's like Mum and Dad. And Deck. Ants, you only ever see Ants on the left and Deck on the right. That's right. But they're far better looking than us, Kev, and slightly true. richer. Yeah, true. So hi, Kev and Neil. For my final major project in college, I plan to make a photo book. All the photo books I love are hardbacks. So what would be the company you would recommend to create this book? The project hasn't even started yet, so this is uh, planning ahead. But uh, how much would 20 books cost to make on these websites? I don't know about the um, about the amount, uh, what, what they would cost all put together, but I'm, I'm instantly going for Blurb. Um, I've used Blurb for years, but I don't, I don't think they're the cheapest, but... Um, Buy cheap, buy twice, as the as the phrase goes. Blurb would be one that I would suggest. I know a lot of people have done their self-publishing through Blurb, and it's been very successful. Um, a slight tip when you're using uh, self-publishing companies, I've noticed that sometimes the, the black and whites that come out of them, not always the black and whites that, that I would like, and sometimes they feel a bit more like a slight tinge of green and white or a very slight tinge of blue and white. So I've always warmed up the pictures. So I've taken it as a black and white, and then I've warmed it up slightly. So it has some sort of RGB value to it. And I found that by warming a picture of black and white up slightly, treating it as a warm tone, you you end up with what you want rather than a green and white or a blue and white. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if Blurb do this, but really... I mean, I'm not thinking, suggesting that's just Blurb, by the way. I'm, I'm, no, 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 no. Yeah, but I'm think, uh, if, if you're thinking about doing something any kind of serious nature i'm sure blurb do do this by the way then you should get a um Test color it. profile from them yes oh yes yeah, yeah. and and do it and do your black yeah. and whites through the color profile yeah. just to make sure it's accurate um and I, I i would imagine somewhere on the blurb website you can get something like that, is that but yeah blurb is probably the go-to one is it xyz as well is that the uh, xyz we... is the one that um sean tucker uses that's yeah. right and i always think that they look superb 
great job. They do. I've got the yeah, latest one, actually. Good. I've got the – it's number five now, which is a real leap, a, a definite change in style from, from his previous ones. Of course, he moved, moved to York from London, so they were bound to change. Um, but, uh, yeah, so you'd, you'd go with Blurb, would you? Probably. I've not really looked into it too much, but, yeah, just that would be the first name that comes to my mind to start the research, at least. I've got a question for you, Kev. Why, with all the, the amazing pictures that you've made, and I mean this, I'm not just um, floating your boat or whatever they say. Uh, no, blowing smoke up. Uh, no, anyway, um, why, why have you never, um, why have you never, or why don't you produce more books yourself, self-published books? Because you've got so much information that you can, you can share and a plethora of, of images that you've made from the street. I just... It always seems to me, I wonder why Kev has never self-published a book about, say, street photography, tips, hints. Well, yeah, a photo book, a, a, a book of my photos would not sell, put it that way. And then a, a, a more of a exercise type book, if you like. You it's know, instructional to, is what I'm thinking of, Kev. Instructional. Yeah. yeah, I've been, I've spoke to several publishers and stuff about things. And, you know, the street photography one, they say, is too saturated. Mm. way too saturated for um you know there's established names and stuff doing that and which is good and good for them people are you know are interested in it the wedding photography one i i, I we got right down the route with a um big publishing company and they backed out in the end they, they you know we they just said that, we? we've yeah. done we've yeah. done the research and you know basically youtube is killing that that yeah. kind of marketplace so that never happened but yeah, I mean, I think photo books are different. So Sean's photo books, for example, you know, he has got his true one thousand fans, hasn't he? And they yeah. will all buy one. Um, he calls them the ride, the ride and die, ride or die fans. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're not uh, like, yes. we're not likely to see a Mullins book then. No, I don't think book. so. Um, no, there's a lot of effort involved, and then you know, it just wouldn't for no for no return. No, nobody would want. I, I can't think people wouldn't buy a photo book because basically, who would buy a photo book of? you know, a couple of street photos and pictures of other people's weddings and my kids, because <laughs> that's essentially well, I, all I take pictures of. Oh, Kev, you, you do it down. I think I've seen this. Who would buy a book from Kev of all his street pictures? Or stuff? I, 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 absolutely. See, everybody would, Kev. Okay, well, by next week, I'll have one then. <laughs> Myself and Gemma, <laughs> we'd be first in the queue, wouldn't we, Gemma? Yes. She's oh. nodding. You would. Um, She'd look. I'd buy, I'd make a book every year, or, or, or most years. Yeah. She's she took to crying at them all the time and not looking at them because she gets too sad. Sad? And, what about? You know, I don't understand. Quid for something, it makes you sad. <laughs> emotional, emotional pictures. Are, you know, they're like too. The, she says the pictures I take are too emotional. Well, that's Im- so. that's nice though, don't you think? <laughs> well, in a in a emotional as in the the one those glorious those amazing pictures you make of your kids. They're so good. Uh, well, yeah, they're the ones she's referring to, but yeah. she can't look at them because oh. it makes them. She makes them too. No, like now, maybe when you know, maybe in a couple of years' time, when they're both proper gits, and <laughs> she'll look at them, draw moustaches on their faces, and stuff. <laughs> maybe. Right um, now, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this uh, Charles Brooks, who lives um, who lives now in New Zealand. Um, he, I, I mean, honestly, Kev, when when you showed me, and I was I was honest with him as well. I di- I didn't do that thing I've heard interviewers do, which I think. You know, I, I always think photographers would much rather you be authentic and honest with them. And I did admit during the interview to to the fact that you'd introduced me very, very recently in the last few weeks to his work. But and when you did, I was absolutely blown away. I mean, these pictures, 
of the inside of instruments. I mean, initially, they do look like he's made up a film set, don't they? Yeah, um, yeah, it's incredible. They are incredible. And, and you were right when you said to me, you will never see musical or music pictures like this. Uh, you will have never seen them before, and you were absolutely right. So, um, so this is uh, my conversation with the extraordinary photographer, Charles Brooks. Charles, you have uh, two locations that you call home. Actually, I think it's three. I've got Auckland and Valdi. Is it Valdivia or Valdivia? Valdivia. Valdivia. Yeah, Valdivia is in the in the south of Chile. Chile, yeah. At yeah. the the Norman, northernmost tip of of Patagonia, which is the southernmost region. Well, obviously, I, um, I, I know Auckland, but I'm I, not <laughs> intimately. But the sec, the second Valdivia there, I've no knowledge of it of it at all, except I, I know, as you say, it's in Chile. And it's one of the pro- why, province capitals. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm confused as to why that there's. Most people have Paris, New York, Auckland. Um, y- you have Auckland, Chile. So before I, I had a career as a as a full time photographer, yeah, um, I was a, a concert musician for a long time. I was a, a classical cellist. I played with orchestras all around the world, and that's a, a particularly tough job. It's very very difficult to win positions and and um you know for instance i think in new zealand if i wanted to to be a concert cellist to have you know one of the few salaried jobs with an orchestra uh there's an audition once every maybe five to ten years for one spot um so it's it's something where if you've got a job um no matter where it is you just go um so my first job for that was in china i was in Shenzhen and then in the center of China. And I, I spent about seven years there. Um, really came to, to love photography again while I was there. It was something I'd done when I was younger. But when you're in the middle of China, around all these cast mountains, these extraordinary places, um, mm. you can't help but, but fall back in love with photography. But I'd fallen out of love with the, the orchestra that I was in. Oh. And so it was a matter of doing auditions for anything that was open. And one of the first jobs that I landed was in this place called Valdivia in Chile, a chamber orchestra in Patagonia. And I thought, <laughs> well, that that sounds kind of cool. So I, I won the job, accepted the position, and, and then found myself having to kind of Google where where Valdivia really was, yeah. flew almost literally halfway around the world. I mean, those the two places I was playing were, were sort of polar opposites. And um, I found myself in this country that that is extraordinary. I, mm-hmm. I developed a deep love for Chile. It is a beautiful, beautiful place. An even deeper love for the people of Chile, uh, one of whom I'm marrying in about four days. Um, and uh, she is from Valdivia, yes, so I, that's I, I, that's yeah. my connection I knew, there. I knew, I knew that bit, and I was hoping that you were you were. We, I was facing the the romantic part, and actually, it was almost not romantic because you had a COVID scare. The wedding was almost off. Yeah, so if I'm if I'm feeling a bit sounding a little bit froggy today, it's because I've got some kind of throat thing going on. And we were, you know, I I had the sore throat, and I was sort of debating: do I go in and get a test, yeah. knowing that? It's almost certain to cancel, you know, half a dozen shoots and my wedding. Or do I let it, you know, just see if it gets better in a in a day? And then my fiance got a headache, and we're like, right, okay, we've got to go get this checked. Um, wandered into the the testing facility here, and fortunately the results were back within about twelve hours, and they said no. Um, 
You've just got a sore throat. Uh, for somebody whose passport is uh, exceptionally well stamped, <laughs> thanks to, <laughs> to to music and photography, um, it must have been difficult over the last couple of years. It's yeah, it, it's been extremely tough. Um, you know, I had this this career as a cellist for for twenty odd years, and I, I came back to New Zealand in twenty sixteen. Looked at the the possibilities of of you know continuing my performance career here, and looked at the salaries and thought. Hmm. Maybe not. And then I, I, I thought, well, you know, photographers, they make a lot of money, surely. Um, there, there's a touch of sarcasm there for the people not on video. Um, so I I went into that and that was just starting to, to really gain a lot of traction. I was getting some great clients. Um, I was finding a real niche. So my typical client would be a, a New Zealand musician, especially classical musicians, who was performing overseas. So lots of sort of opera singers, violinists, pianists, people that were playing at, at Covent Garden, singing at the, the Met, all these fantastic places. Um, and they would come back. They, they wanted something that was a little bit connected to New Zealand to help them stand out when they were in Europe because, uh, you know, it, it makes them look a little bit exotic i guess mm. um and i like to think that maybe they also liked my my style of photography but the the problem was sort of twofold first um they lost all of their jobs because all of the opera houses shut down and then of course we were in lockdown yeah. and so i i had to really pivot to, to try and find something else that i could do and there were a whole lot of things that sort of came together and, and these all have sort of culminated in this particular series um so the first thing I, I thought well i'm in lockdown i can't move anywhere but i could probably get some products sent to me why don't i try my hand at product photography which i've since found out is insanely difficult i was gonna say um, how hard oh, could it be how hard could it be really <laughs> just a few bottles and away you go oh yeah it's a it's a, it's a breeze <laughs> um no i i have so much respect for for people who take beautiful photographs of watches and, and things now you know I, I thought this was all so simple it's you know you stick a thing in front of you shine a light at it fine um <laughs> until i realized that you're entirely photographing reflections mm. you're not really photographing the object itself and that's also what kind of got me into stacking and the, the process of focus stacking focus which I'll, stacking. I'll get into in a moment because that's something that's integral to to product photography but i i'd wanted to take my own sort of spin on it so the first thing that i did i i sent out a bunch of emails to a, a, a whole bunch of places saying look can you just send me stuff i'll take some photos i don't know what they'll be like but maybe you'll like them maybe not i wasn't charging for this and one of the places that sent me some product was a, a tea manufacturer and they had this sort of nautical theme going on and I, I didn't just want to take a photo of you know a box of tea and a nice looking cup with some steam coming off it I, I wanted to put a bit of a spin on it create something with a lot of atmosphere and I'd had this old model that my my dad had built maybe 60 years ago of the Cutty Sark the yeah, clipper I know that's the, in, in, I think, still in London. It's still um, in London. You're right. Yeah, it's it's the yeah. it's almost the rite of passage for for children that go on school trips to London <laughs> to see the Cutty Sark. Yeah. So this this model's about a foot long, but yeah. it's it's tremendously detailed. And I thought, I wonder if I could do a little bit of photography and sort of Photoshop magic to make that look 
life size and you know make it look like this tea was being offloaded from this sort of you know 19th century ship and that took me down a whole rabbit hole of, of how to sort of deal with with perspectives and make small things look big and and that's sort of at the heart of what's going on with a lot of this music photography uh project that i'm now doing what i needed to do was get a lens that could get really close to that particular boat you know as, as close as it would be if someone was standing the dock and it were parked there yeah. and then photograph it but i you know you very quickly realize that if you're trying to do that no matter how much you close up your aperture it's never going to be all in focus yeah. so you have to you know sort of ramp the focus you start close to the lens and take slices and slices and slices of photos moving that focus every single time until you've captured the entire ship. I then tried focus stacking that first by hand, which I realized was just going to be impossible because it was a hundred shots or something. Um, then in Photoshop, which spent about an hour and a half on it and then said no, um, which is something I find Photoshop does to me quite a lot. I tend to push it past its limits. And then I found some wonderful software called Helicon Focus, which is specifically designed for focus stacking. And it can deal with very complex items that have lots of sort of intersecting parts, so, like the rigging of this ship. So does that take the, the photograph and then, then automatically start to, to stack it for you? Um, it takes the photographs that you've already shot. Yes. So you have to shoot them in a specific order, typically okay. from closest to farthest away, um, export them in a, in a certain way, um, generally as sort of a, a high resolution TIFF file. Mm -hmm. It then scans all those photos and it has a bunch of different settings, but essentially what it's doing is it's looking for bits that are in focus and it's discarding the rest and then it's compiling all of that together. Wow. It's very, very clever. Wow. Um, you know, it does have some limitations. You've got to be careful, for instance, if uh, you can't actually shoot with an aperture that's too wide open, because what happens is that you might be focused on something a little bit further away, but the objects that are close to you are getting so blurry, they start to kind of overlap it. You can see through it like a haze. Yeah. But it means that even the sharp bits of the object that are further away are getting a little bit covered by the blurred out stuff in front. And that that's a big problem. It's a very difficult thing to deal with, especially with some of these musical instrument shots where it's very, very tough to get light into those spaces. Mm. So we have to work very, very hard to kind of get enough light in there, taking long shots or using very, very powerful strobes. There's a bunch of ways to overcome it. None of them are... are particularly simple so the cutty sark mm. that that kind of leads to this um architecture and music project does it there's that that's that's what that's what st starts it rolling yeah that that sort of started the technique i i had rented a lens for that because the the typical macro lenses that i was using you know a normal macro lens might be a, an 85 millimeter or a hundred something yeah. millimeter lens and that means that you're actually not that close to the object you're mm. you're back a little bit mm. and sort of zoomed in and that doesn't give you the sort of distortion when it comes to the the depth going front to back that you need to make it feel like you were standing right beside something it might be you know all blown up and clear but you end up with kind of that telephoto compression mm. which sort of ruins the the effect so i came across a lens by lauer this extraordinary probe lens that they make 
which looks like a, a long snorkel. Um, it's uh, maybe a foot or something long. Um, I've seen about it, yeah. I've two centimetres wide. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that lens has the great ability that it can focus almost right up to its front element. I think that the, it gets to about a quarter of a centimetre or something before it can't get any closer. And that lets you get right next to the object. So when you're photographing it, the resulting image feels like you're standing there. And especially once you've got everything in focus from back to front, that whole effect is kind of solidified. Mm. To me, I, I call it the opposite of the tilt shift effect. Mm. Uh, you know, if, if you see those tilt shift photos that, that was so popular over the last few years, usually aerial shots of something where whatever the, the subject matter is, that's in focus, but it rapidly blurs, you know, the foreground and the background. Yeah, it, it looks like um, the small sort of toy towns, doesn't it? That's, yeah, it, yeah. It, it tricks your brain into thinking yeah. that it's a, it's a miniature. And, and that, yeah. I think, is just an effect of, of the fact that every time we see a macro photo like that, whether it's a, a bug or, or whatever, we're used to seeing the background being blurred. So our, our brain just goes, ah, oh, that's that's small. Yeah. I don't know whether that's a result of conditioning from being seeing so many of these photos or whether that's that's really something. I think um, we, we, na we naturally kind of do it with our vision, don't we? I, I guess so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But then, yeah, I, I had thought, well, if blurriness makes things look small, perhaps sharpness makes things look big and, and so we end up with because i don't want to confuse the uh, the cutty sark with the architecture yeah. in, in music so just so that we're absolutely clear the cutty sark the picture that you you made for the t project you you essentially built a well no you you shot a, a, on a jetty didn't you so you got the t on the jetty and you've got the cutty sark yeah. in the background join the two together and you felt like you were there and it was all very real and and it, it was a very clever uh, a very clever concept and you can see it on your website now I'll, I'll make a link to it but then we come to this architecture and music where we're taking it just not one step forward we're, we're taking <laughs> about 100 miles <laughs> forward yeah and yeah. this is now where you're putting this camera this probe uh, lens into instruments now i've been introduced to this by my mate mullins and when he showed it to me, I, I have to admit, I was creatively and technically completely thrown. I couldn't work out whether this was a film set, exceptionally well shot, or it was the real thing. And you were really in, or, or maybe it was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and they'd put you in, they'd put you inside an instrument. It's absolutely incredible. It looks like you've been shrink rayed down. I, I mean, that's yeah. what I was looking for. Um, you know, when I the the jump from the the cutty sark to that was just a sort of natural yeah. progression. Yeah. Um, I thought, well, what else can I make look big? And um, I, I looked to what was around me, and of course, my cello's sitting in the corner. And and you know, I'm I'm very familiar with you know all of these instruments. I spent most of my life surrounded by them, yeah. and so I thought, well, let's. Let's take a look inside. Let's see what we can do. Because it's something I'd, I'd always been curious about. I, I think in 20 years of being a concert cellist um, and, and tens of thousands of hours of practice, I only saw inside my cello twice. It's just something you never get to see because typically you have to take the lid off. And, and that means that it's going in for a major repair. That yeah. means it's, it's getting major work done. But I knew that that certainly with, with some of the bigger instruments, cellos in particular, um, you know, there's a big spike that comes out of the bottom. And um, I thought, well, maybe, maybe with this new lens, I can get it in there. Um, I couldn't. 
um, I had to I had to modify both the lens and then take the cello into the luthiers because while the spike slips out by itself, um, you actually need to take out a little bit more, you know, the stuff that holds the spike in. But fortunately on a on a cello, those parts of the instrument, they're just held in by tension from the strings. So you're not doing anything that would modify the instrument. You're not damaging the instrument in any way. And that's something that is very important to me. I don't want to photograph a, a, a cello that, you know, I, I'm not going to drill holes in something. Well, that was my, my um, question because I was thinking, how on yeah. earth does he get a probe lens into here without making the hole just a little bit larger, which of course would have would have an effect on the sound of the instrument, wouldn't it? Of course, yeah, yeah. And it's just something you don't want to do. I mean, the, the first cello that I shot happened to be one that was already in a workshop and that cello was a, a Lockie Hill cello. He was an English cello maker yeah. from around about 1780. And so it's, it's a very valuable instrument. Yeah. Was this um, the, I the, certainly was, don't want to go drilling holes no. in it just for a photograph. Was this the fellow, um, that, fellow that got hung? Or, or, yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, sorry, I shouldn't sound so happy when, you, no, when no, I reply no. to that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's tragic. He, yeah. he was... This might have been one of his last instruments. They're My still word. trying to date exactly when this instrument was made. But yeah, I think 1792 or something, um, he was convicted and hung for horse theft. You know, I, I found this a bit confusing because on a lot of the auction websites that you go on to, to value instruments like this, they say that he lived till about 1810. But um, a little bit of research showed that the family had simply said that he'd moved away and sort of covered it up and you can go and you can read the trial and and see what he had to say in his defense and trials were a little bit different back then he, think, he had yeah. about two sentences and and that was it he really got to say nothing at all um so that's that's a tragedy but it's you know it's part of of what I like when you're when you're photographing the insides of especially old instruments. It's history, isn't it? It's stories. It's, and it's history. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I can I can see his tool marks inside yeah. this cello. I can see repairs that have been done by other people. Um, you can see mixes of new and old wood because, of course, yeah. a cello that's two hundred and eighty years old, it's had all kinds of accidents and and you know trip ups along the way and all kinds of people have been in there and worked on it you'll see so you're repairs seeing this fantastic and, yeah. yeah yeah you're you're seeing this record of history yeah. um just in a single photo and that's something i particularly love with with these yeah. these instrumental shots well i mean uh, i i think of a piano that my uh, grandmother uh, gifted me from a house in Enfield that had been bombed during the Blitz and, and uh, it had had bits done to it to fix it because I think something came through the window. And uh, But I, I do remember that the uh, the piano maker's name was, uh, I can't remember his first name, but his second name was Borg and it was he was a Parisian uh, piano uh, maker. But all the way through the piano, um, he had little bits, he'd signed bits and written bits oh, and wow. when things had been fixed. And I was wondering whether you'd found that sort of thing, where you might find signatures, where you might, you might find notation in there. On the violins and cellos, um, yes, mm. there is a... There's always, or usually a label. Sometimes it's been lost in time. They they just peel off eventually. But there's a, a sort of stamped official signature in there. Um, on a couple of instruments, I've found a, a sort of 
signature burnt into the wood where perhaps bits have been repaired saying restored by so-and-so at such and such a date that's kind of nice to see because you know i don't think that that's that's sort of a message from from luthier to luthier from technician to technician they're not expecting anybody else to see you know their work um it kind of makes me wonder i i part of the reason i came back to new zealand was i i needed a double hip replacement surgery and i'm wondering whether my titanium hips have a have a signature on there somewhere for <laughs> someone else might find when oh. when they need upgrading in in 30 or 40 years um a whole new use i'll make sure to ask a whole new use for the probe uh, lens that you currently have let's move on quickly um <laughs> i i am intrigued as to how you i mean i get this idea now out how the the lens is used but the lighting is a whole new issue isn't it how do you get the light into into the instruments into these small areas without it just becoming just funnels of light that don't really reveal too much yeah that that's exceptionally tricky it's a matter of using basically a lot of patience a lot of time strong modeling lights so i'm, I'm using flash yeah. strobes for these i i can't really use continuous light because it's just not strong enough yeah. that particular lens the widest it can go is f14 right. that's the minimum and then it, it dials all the way up to f40 i've never come across a lens that that closes that that much um, and then on top of that you're shooting inside what a really really dark spaces. I yeah. mean, they're hidden away. Yeah. So typically I'm using a couple of, I've got a couple of sort of thousand watt strobes and they are on full whack. And I'll spend a lot of time, I'll get those strobes onto a, a sort of good rig where I can move them very precisely because just a centimeter here, a centimeter there might be enough just to shine through a crack, to shine through yeah. a tiny opening. And of course, tiny movements in those lights when you're looking at something so small make enormous changes to the actual scene so you've really got to spend a lot of time doing that i'll then have those lights on absolutely full power for for most of the shoot um you've also got to be a little bit careful with that as well i have to shoot slowly not just for myself to be precise but because you don't want the lights to get hot close to the instrument mm. because that could actually damage some of these instruments and and some of them are tremendously valuable you know the the fazioli piano that i photographed that was a a three hundred thousand dollar instrument oh, um so you know i <laughs> i'm very honored that that the technicians and the luthiers that i'm working with to get the access right you know i'm, I'm always working with someone who really knows the inside of these instruments to make sure we're not doing any damage to make sure that we're, we're doing it right and i'm honored that they let me that close and that they let me in i, I think perhaps if i weren't a musician and didn't have the experience I had already with that, they, they wouldn't let me near the place. And Charles Brooks returns next week. And in our chat, he talks more about his photography inside the instruments, a world within a landscape we've not seen before, including something that surprised me. Yeah, it, it's got that sort of red colour that you'd yeah. expect from a nebula, yeah. red and black and white. This is all stuff that, that we associate with astrophotography and, and that kind of spherical shape that that circular pattern that you see so much in nature can you guess what it is yet next week with charles brooks part two we have news as well about this podcast and where we're headed in 2022 right back to your questions 
Oh, Kev, have you, have you, uh, is, is the box now fully unloaded? Sorry, the, the, the last thing left is the strap, but I'm not opening that because I never open. Oh, what, what strap are you going to use? In the cupboard. What are you going to use? I'll use a different strap. Or pr- maybe I won't even have a strap. I don't know. Oh. I'll de- decide. Oh, but yes, I, I don't. Uh, although saying that, I do have a workshop on Friday. I might take this. So I might just put that on for the time being until I decide. Put, one up, put, put, a, put a dog lead on it, a nice leather, <laughs> leather dog lead. There we go. Something very. Oh, talking of which, Kev, I, I took um, Barney for his. Uh, we went to puppy training classes. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the other night. Oh, dear. Honestly, if you, if, if you could put. If you've got 15 puppies in one room, okay. <laughs> uh, if, you, if you unleashed um, an Instagram influencer into that, I, I, they, I'm honestly, I don't know. Everything will be awesome, obviously. It mm-hmm. was it was like cuteness overload, Kev. Barney, you smashed that. Good boy, <laughs> Barney. No, they don't speak like that, Kev. People that run these things are very they're they're quite um so um yeah, they're they're quite forthright. I'm a bit scared of the dog trainers. There's three of them. <laughs> and I at the end, I went to step out the door and I and um I can't remember this particular dog trainer's name, but she said, Stop! And I was like, what, what have I done? I said, never, never let your puppy walk out before you. You are in charge. She's right, though. <laughs> we were having this conversation offline, weren't we? Yeah. Well, that's true. As I looked out the window to see Barney pulling the cover off the barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> Although I wasn't aware about the not letting the dog go out the door before you. No, you should never know. No, it's, it's, called, um, it's called hill walking or something. There's no hills involved. We were just walking around. Very funny hall. Covered in plastic, just in case dogs do what dogs do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very pleased to say Barney was immaculately uh, behaved in that in that respect. Other dogs were just, <laughs> they reminded me of our conversations we've had about Git, where I just thought <laughs> I'd just drop one there, it'll be nice, thanks very much. Yeah. You clear it up, I'll be back in half an hour. But yeah, uh, yeah it was, it was um, yeah, quite the, quite yeah, quite the occasion, Kev. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, yeah, I've got six more of these to go. Yeah, it's good to do though. Um, Yours are all so immaculately trained, though, aren't they? Uh, no, we never did puppy training, though. I have to say, although Monty probably could have done with a bit. <laughs> you imagine Monty? Can you imagine <laughs> Git at, at dog training? Yeah. He'd run a mock. Yeah, he'd be like, "All right, lads, <laughs> my name's Git for a reason." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's show me your bums. I want to sniff. <laughs> You would. <laughs> Let's throw this class down. <laughs> right, Chris Leyland is turning very quickly into our hero, isn't he, Kev? He is indeed. Yeah, we like lo- we love Chris um, because he writes in these. Uh, oh, they're always extraordinarily really good questions. Sometimes they're long lists of them, and there have been some that have taken quite a long time to get through. So uh, strap yourselves in. Chris has sent another one in. Hello again. Thanks for reading all the questions uh, that I just bounce around my head. Well, you're you're welcome, Chris. We like them. A couple of questions. Hope you don't mind. There's only two, Kev. How are we going to survive with only two? Mm. Uh, Q1. I still can't get my head around the fact that Kev going from, well, not much interest or experience in photography walks, walks in one day rather, and tells his wife, I'm done with my very high paid job in the city and I'm going to become a wedding photographer. I can understand with other jobs that this isn't uh, unheard of. Other jobs, you you can do qualifications in the area you want to work in. If you want to become a carpenter, study carpentry. And and a a side course if if your maths isn't very good. But photography is a creative job. It's not just about putting everything on a third of the frame and making sure your histogram is all good. There's emotion involved, among other things, that you really don't pick up from textbooks, in my opinion. There is a question at the end of this, by the way, Kev. Kev must have already been into studying people 
or have had a soft side to be able to know when people are going to do certain things or understand that this is a moment that needs to be recorded. I heard Gemma once say, hang on, has he been round to your house, Chris? Has he been listening? I heard Gemma once say something along the lines of, Kev's pictures, and this is appropriate because of, of what you were saying a moment ago, Kev's pictures make me cry because I can see what was going on through his mind when he took the photo. My long-winded way of asking this question is, what photographically have either of you done courses, talks, exhibitions, workshops, or even life experiences that have improved your photography? There's a lot to answer there, Kev. So courses, talks, exhibitions, workshops, or life experiences. What do you want to go for first? Let's go for courses. I've got to let... I've got Talking to the dog, I've got Barney outside barking to come in. So I'll let him in while you talk about courses that you've done. I'll let him in. Uh, right, so... Come in, Barney. Come on. In you courses, I have been on quite a few. Yeah. Uh, right at the beginning was the Jeff Askoff stuff, which oh, yeah. was great. Was that, the very uh, fir- was that the very first one you did? Yeah. Oh, blimey. Yeah. We met, we met there, didn't we? Yeah, although I think it might have been the second one that I did that I met you at. Yeah. I think I might have done one before that. Eyes, um, eyes, yeah. eyes, eyes across a crowded classroom. There you were, Kev. I saw you. Ooh, it's Kev. <laughs> Actually, I say I've done lots of courses. I, can't, I don't think I've done that many. I've, done, I've been at lots of um, conferences and stuff like that and watched other people do things and talk and everything, which is often the best the best way. SWPP, um, of course, you did. A, 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 SWPP, yeah, you yeah did, a lot of stuff going on there. Attended probably but, a lot of the talks because that was one of the benefits. You could go and see what you wanted to, couldn't you? Yeah, exactly. So you could go and watch watch stuff. But I, I'd just like to come back to the beginning of that point about this, this um, uh, fallacy about this high-paid job in the city. <laughs> no, it's true, Kev. Kev, Kev is not being. Kev Maybe sound like the Wolf of Wall Street. Kev was right. Yeah, he did. He had Lamborghini Countach and Porsche nine elevens in every colour uh, for it each wasn't, day of the week. For a while, I did work in the city, but it was I, I was in Mayfair actually, and it wasn't. It was well, put it this way: I made more money than doing wedding photography, but it certainly <laughs> wasn't what you might expect. Uh, I'm still paying my mortgage, still paying my car rental, still paying for the kids, still paying <laughs> co-op, still paying for my non-alcoholic wine. Still paying for the horses. Oh, horse. yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, to me, for me, it was just I had to do something. I just had to do something to change. That. Was, your, I just knew was that. your soul slightly, I don't want to sound too melodramatic, but was it was it slightly dying inside then with, with the corporate world? Yeah, I hated it. Did you? Oh, I didn't know you hated it. I thought you loved what you did. No, I didn't mind the actual thing I was doing. The act of doing the um, the stuff was all right. The travel, the trains, the politics, the mm. you know, the going to blinking Starbucks, you know, or everything. It was just everything. I, I honestly, I know people still do it, so I don't want to be disparaging about it. But I, I couldn't do that ever again. I would, I would rather. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather be. Is it would you rather game coming up? Here? No, yeah, I know. But whatever I say is going to be uh, annoying to people who are that. So yeah. I'm not going to say anything. No, but um, it just didn't yeah, suit I, you. It, it, you, you. It's an, yeah, very independent. You, you, I mean, yeah. I. I still have very good friends from that period of my life we're still doing it they're still on that treadmill every day and they seem absolutely fine and they've paid their mortgage off and they've got lamborghinis and they've got a house <laughs> in spain and they've got six cows a horse <laughs> okay but uh, so so that fallacy aside 
a very good uh, we'll come back to the courses a point was made there that maybe you were into studying people or you did have this this so-called softer side you were photographically seeing things before you picked up that article featuring jeff askoff that made you take a huge left turn at the traffic lights or is that not true either you had no idea um, honestly i don't know i i i I definitely look. The only things that were in my life at the time were, you know, obviously my family. I played a lot of rugby at the time. That was pretty much it. I went to the pub a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I had no like. There was no artistic. You know, I, I can't draw. I can't even draw a straight line. I can't. There's no nothing artistic about me at all. I believe that the fact that I thought this is the way I want to do it, the candid way of doing it, and which meant I didn't go down any formal education. I didn't go to any formal. Um, photography courses where they taught you to pose things and all that kind of stuff. I think that helped me because it meant I wasn't shackled by the rules. Yeah. You know, you must have the light here. You must, you know, the composition must be this and all that kind of stuff. You know, for all intents and purposes, I I just became a snapshotter. Uh, and, you know, I still am really, as is all people who shoot candid photography, really. You're you're reliant on the, the you know, the three elements of a good picture, but, you know, you're not, you're not guiding any of it. And so I think... That was my way of thinking, yeah, this this seems like a much better, it was all based on a better way of life, better work-life balance. You know, it could have been, a, like I often say, as a joke, it's a good job I didn't open a page on chiropathy. It's like, you know, <laughs> People we speak. would now be on the, the Toes and Knuckles podcast. Oh, oh, not sure I'd want to listen to that one. I like the well. I don't um, the self derogatory uh, thing of snapshot. I mean, you you use snapshot. And we've talked about this before. I know sh- snapshotographer as uh, as a way of, of just having a, a gentle dig back at those that were in the industry, had been there a gazillion years, that had a problem that the new boy on the block had arrived. Yeah, that's what they they referred to it as, and 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 you know, I'm not. That's what it was at the beginning. Definitely, you know, was the case. Didn't really know what I was doing. Just kind of. Snapshot, snap, 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 snapshot, snap, snap, snapshot, 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 you'd be in trouble, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, but yes, I mean, you know, yeah, of course it's not snapshots now, but it certainly was then. And I don't remember having this this kind of thought process, but maybe I just thought, well, this is an easy way of doing it. You know, maybe I did think that, I can't recall, but when I started investigating it more, you know, and I started looking at the work of people like uh, Crash Taylor. Remember Crash Taylor? Oh, where did Crash Taylor go? The Leicester guy. Well, he wasn't uh, from... No, no, he, Nottingham. He, he, no he, Nottingham. Not, Nottingham, sorry, not Leicester. Nottingham. Um, Canadian, wasn't he? Was he Canadian? No, he's from L.A. Was he L.A.? Uh, oh. Yeah, he's still around. I don't think he should... But he was like remember. a massive star, wasn't he? Crash Taylor. I mean, uh, he, so, so, social media was awash with Crash. Yeah, it was a nice chap, actually, underneath all of the Americanism, kind of, I don't say Americanism in a careful, negative careful, way, but in, careful, in, ter- no, 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 in, in terms of, like, he come here from America and brought the whole, you know, social media stuff with him. Right. And it, it was new, really, in the industry in the UK at that time. So yeah, he was yeah. very up with how the social media stuff was working well, he was, in America. He was, certainly, he, was, he was certainly ahead of, of uh, all, all the competition. Oh, that, yeah. That, he, was, he was huge for a while. Um, but unfortunately, you know, things didn't go quite right for him towards the end. And, and, and as far as I'm aware, he's no longer a photographer. He's still around, you know. He's yeah, still... Yeah. He's still I'm sure he's still a nice chap. He was always a nice chap. I got on very well with him. But I used to love his work. Very, very, very different. I used to love his candid elements of his work, but his post stuff... I used to think, wow, my God, this is amazing. I don't know how you'd ever do something like that. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and all these people I just started looking at, um, 
And then one day I just thought, oh, I'm just going to do it the way I want to do it. You know, there's no point. I can't go thinking, taking pictures on my phone of pictures that Crash Taylor's taken, pictures that, I don't know, Gordon McGowan's taken, pictures that Jeff Askoff have taken. Because that's what, you know, people often do. They often, you know, they often look at, take pictures from other photographers. It's really interesting on Instagram how many people, uh, if you look at the stats on your Instagram pictures, yes. um, download the photo. So, you know, you can add them to collections. Yes. You can look yeah. at other people's photos and yeah. add them to collections. Yeah. And I often think, and I'm, you know, I'm more than happy to people for people to use my stuff as reference and inspiration and all that. And that's absolutely 100% fine. But I often think, I wonder why, you know, this one in a, mil- one in a lifetime candid picture of, I don't know, whatever it is, kid at a wedding. What are they going to do with that? Are they going to look at that and think next time I'm going to look for a kid at a wedding or they're going to look, take it and think, uh, you know, I want to analyze how, how Kev's used the light or composition, which is valid and understandable or, yeah. you know, or are they going to do what I did right at the very beginning, which is basically have a folder full of pictures that other photographers did stick them in a book and think they're the types of pictures I must get, which is that's not going to happen mm. ever. No, good point. I'm just looking at the crash stuff, by the way. So I wanted to make sure that if, if we said he, he wasn't, I, I'm it's a I'm finding it difficult to understand whether he's, he is around still or not, Kev. I'm, I'm trying. He's still to, on Facebook. Yeah. If you're on Facebook, you got to be around, right? Yep. I think he's doing some he's courses doing still by the looks of it. I, I don't know. It's very difficult to identify because I had another one where it links. Hmm. Well, I've, Not I've, photography courses and photography training. Yeah, but then you go to there's one link here that says that it no longer exists, and uh, yeah, oh yeah, you, you can, yeah. Do, but yeah. Yeah, I'm one with you. Uh, Cra- Crash certainly was. Um, he was a bit of a trailblazer, wasn't he? He was indeed. He was. So, yeah. course, just to return to that question, and co- courses, workshops, we'll put them all in talks, exhibitions. But were there any standout ones for you that you saw, or, or, or was it really that you did not want to be tied to anything? Uh, right at the beginning, no. I just, you know, just kind of went. What about well? What about life experiences then that have improved your? Do do you think your life your life story improved your photography? Because that's the uh, at the end of the question that Chris asked. No, no. <laughs> I don't, honestly don't think that deep into these things. No, I can I, tell I, you. I, I, to, to be totally honest with you, like I find it intriguing when people have these thoughts. These these kind of yeah. uh, you, you know deep, I, I, I'm deep, deep thoughts. Yeah, I I, I I'm honoured that people think these things, but literally. I just wanted a way of getting out of the day job, and I thought that this would be easy. Well, uh, honesty, Kev, that's what's, what it's about. Uh, Q2 of the two Qs. Have either of you ever had a moment when you thought you had a great idea for a photographic story or essay, or just a simple photograph, but you realised either straight away or afterwards that you completely missed the mark and it wasn't appropriate or it personally felt wrong or uncomfortable? I'd like to give you an example of what I'm trying to ask. I thought I had a great idea, says Chris, of taking a series of uh, photographs on Remembrance Sunday. In my little town, it would have been a small but intimate series of some portraits, the laying of the wreaths, the bugle playing, the last post. But being ex-forces myself, I very quickly felt uncomfortable that I'd be taking photographs at a time in a place when I should be remembering past friends and comrades. I took one photo, put the camera away, paid my respects, had a pint, went home. So uh, have you had a moment like that where you felt particularly uncomfortable uh, taking or making images? I can't say I have, but I don't go to those sort of, I don't go out to find those stories that would um, would possibly reveal that. Mm, yeah, I can't say I, anything comes to my mind 
too much about it. I know um, my I know my good friend Giles had a situation like that when he was making pictures of the uh, of the the 10k fun run that we did for quite a while in Newbury. I think they might still do it. It was called the Bayer 10k. I think it was. Uh, it was then when they were sponsoring it, and he was uh, taking some some documentary pictures. Somebody had collapsed at the line, and he was taking photographs and, and then instantly thought oh what what about what you know am I, am I am i back doing the pictures that i used to do when i was in the army mm. tricky yeah. tricky moment um uh, but um. i can't say well, what about the i mean it's not humorous but what about that moment you took the picture of the uh the, the grandma that it was the her last moment well yeah i didn't take a picture after she'd no she'd she died, but um, what, what did you do with the, the very last picture of her life, though? Gave it to them, of course. I think she was yeah. point, pointing at you, wasn't she? And that kind of like, what are you doing, young man? Her, <laughs> la- her I, last, I, honestly, it is humorous. I'm yeah. sorry, a long time has gone past I now. It is, it is a humorous story. That was her last life experience. You, you, Kev, <laughs> looking into your eyes well, probably more your eyebrows. <laughs> that was it, Kev, before yeah. she met her maker. Indeed, yeah, and she'd uh, and she'd known me when I was a kid as well. As it turns out, as it oh, transpires, is that right? Wow. Yeah, I used, she used to live next door to my nana. Anyway, um, yeah, maybe, but the um, I don't know. You know, I think we'd all like to go out and make a, a life-affirming photo essay. Some people have the uh, get up and go to do that. Other people don't seem to be able to do it. I think you know, lots of people would wish they could do it. Some people just yeah. don't want to bother doing it I, you know it's stuff isn't it stuff gets in the way yeah. often um, if, if you were transported to a pretty tricky area would you would you want to make those sort of photo stories anyway not really i have to say i'm not the uh, i'm not the kind of person who wants to be in situations where there's um upset and hurt um and photograph it uh you know that's not and i i I fully concede that in the vast majority of photojournalists' cases, when they end up in these places, that's not what they want to be doing either. Uh, it's commissions. It's where their, you know, where their career has taken them. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'd be happy to have anything to take pictures of, really, to be honest with you, that we're allowed to do. Right you know, now. my, my, the, the whole street photography thing is is challenging these days in terms of. Uh, you know what what's happening with society changes um you know you can't can't really run a business and do uh philanthropical type work i don't okay. think um you know it's all well and good saying i want to go and do work for you know a charity or something free um but then you know you still got to run your business you still got to pick the kids up from school you still got to put 90 quid's worth of petrol in the car haven't you and you know <laughs> And, it's and true. Course, These are the yeah, challenges. We'd all love to do it. Yeah, yeah. And but, course, you've now got uh, you've now got star the horse as well. So, so you've got mm. to keep you've got to keep star fed. Um, Chris says um, uh, he said hopefully this email's uh, got better grammar than my last. I thought your emails have always had good grammar, but he's now taken your recommendation and downloaded Grammarly, which I have to say, Kev is brilliant. I, I love it, it. I didn't know anything about Grammarly. Tell us about Grammarly again, just in case. Somebody hadn't heard that because it's a brilliant. Grammarly is a web a site, an app. There's a free, very good free. You probably don't need more than the free version where essentially it embarrasses you. <laughs> you paste in your text from your website or your email or whatever, or you can write it directly in there and it will correct all of the errors, oh, of which there will be a lot. Once you've signed up, it, it recognises whatever computer you're, you're on and it does everything, Word, emails, whole lot. I noticed it even corrected my Facebook stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, because it is, it is 2022. <laughs> All right, Kev, get you. Uh, do you do you have any? I don't think you have any more questions, do you? We really need you on the Facebook None. thing. So I'm, I'm going to have to find. Uh, I'll find another question for us, Kev. Uh, we've done self-publishing. Alessandro Lazzarini. Um, this could be another we shall consider question, but I think it's technically doable. Stand by, Kev. This could be the last question in the show today. Why doesn't Fujifilm put the X-pan crop ratio on their X-series cameras? The GFX line has it, and I think the panorama look really is stunning for certain scenes. Sure, one can always crop in post, but having the ability to compose a picture in camera is just different. What do you think? Do you ever shoot with the aspect ratio 617 or 6524? Uh, yeah, it is in the GFX. I don't know. I mean, maybe they look at the stats of the people, how many people use it, and whether they think that's that's needed or not. Or you could just stick some sticky tape over your viewfinder at the top and the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I know Post people... Yeah, Postbox yeah, it. Yeah, could, uh, uh, pillar, no, it's pillar box. Isn't that pillar box? Pillar box. Post pillar box, box, pillar post box. box. Same thing. Same thing, isn't it? Same thing, different words. Yeah, I don't know why it's never been in there, because you're right, it is in the GFX, and, and I agree with you. I quite like it. I'd like, uh, there's all kinds of things I'd like them to do with the, the EVF in terms of crop overlays and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like the Fibonacci spiral. The what? Oh, yes. Fibonacci yeah. spiral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, I think Kev, oh, no, apart from some, uh, yeah, Mike Miller's made some observations, and uh, there's something from Martin, their observations as well, but Kev, that is it. Questions are all done. We have not one more question for the show. It's done, right. Kev. It's done. You know what that means, people? Yep. It's off to the pub. Well, <laughs> should we go to Starbucks instead? Um, um. Star- Starbucks instead. Well, you know what to do. There's um, the Facebook post there. Um, you can also send them in. There were five ways we identified. The fifth one being that you can actually rock up at Kev's house, uh, come in for a cup of tea and deliver a, deliver a question personally. That's allowed as well. So uh, we uh, we hope to see you next week with some questions, Kev. What do we think? We do, indeed. Please send them in via the website, via Facebook, via email, click on futurecast.co.uk. Yeah, because we'd like to come back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah be and nice. Take this, if you don't send us any more questions, we'll take that as a very polite message. <laughs> Thanks to our guest, Charles Brooks, this week. He returns, well, maybe <laughs> next week for, for, the, for, for the second part. Uh, if you can share the episode on Twitter or Facebook, you're an absolute star. Thank you to our friends who support us on a Patreon. See you in the Facebook group for any questions you have about today's show. Play nice, of course. Uh, Steve and Pete, they're back. The team is back there, Kev. Steve took, yep. a, Steve took a little while out, didn't he? Uh, he had several Sony manuals to read, so he, he was far too busy to be uh, moderating. But I, I think he's finished all 800 chapters of it. Uh, and he's back with Pete, isn't he? So uh, welcome back to, to Steve and Pete as our mod team. Uh, we just had our very first email via the new website. Have you? Come in. And oh. we have. You, you will have received it as well. Just this very second. Oh. Live on air. We, we could have featured it. It's too late now. Maybe we will have to come back next week then. Music. Guess who it's from? Who's it from? Chris Leyland. Leyland. <laughs> <laughs> and it starts off with hello again <laughs> oh, we love you Chris honestly uh, music from Blue Wednesday supporting music from the incredible artlist.io and we will see you next week bye bye the Fujicast is an independent loading zone production email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time 
and in their own good way.